Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Safety Talk. I'm here with my co-host, Neil Haley, and we have an awesome guest for you guys on today's show. Uh, We have a man named Bob Armando joining us. And Bob is the chief operating officer for a company called the Case Street Group. And it is a global protective services firm. Bob has expertise in uh, law enforcement over 13 years. And thank you for your service, sir. Thank you. Yes. And uh, Bob then entered the private sector, uh, providing corporate executive security. Uh, he's also, uh, his responsibilities have included business continuity and crisis management and mitigation, as well as investigating counterfeit drug trafficking, chargebacks, fraud, supply chain manipulation, and expense account fraud. Wow. So he's got a very wide range of experiences here. And, you know, the the safety of the general public and of businesses and everybody else is, you know, something that's in everybody's you know mind today. And so having someone like yourself where, you know, your responsibilities have included things like the protection of, you know, key executives and boards of directors yeah. around the globe, uh, you've got a very wide variety of things. So I'm really excited to, to have you on today because I think you're going to be able to share a lot of great insights and information with those who are, you know, listening and subscribing to the, uh, to the podcast. So we're going to, uh, we're going to dive right in. All righty. Well, first, let me just say, nice to meet you, Pete and Neil. Thank you. Um, yes. and thank you for inviting me on this evening. And I got to watch out. Uh, he's going to investigate me, Pete. So I better watch out. So what the kind of questions I ask, especially my background of days in pro wrestling and everything, he'd be one of those investigators for sure. So right. you, can't, you can't go off the, <laughs> off the grid. There's no way to go off the grid. <laughs> I can't go off the grid on Google. You know that Pete. All right, go ahead. No, you're everywhere. And uh, I'm pretty much getting there too. And you know, today that's, that's, Part of the problem is, you know, we, it's such an interconnected world that we live in that really, unless you are a hermit or somebody that's completely disconnected from the grid that lives right. in some, you know, mountain cabin in the middle of nowhere with no connection to any technology, there is no hiding. Correct. You know, that you put out there don't allow you to hide and you got to be careful about what you put out there because as we've seen, especially in recent days, uh, stuff that you do years and years and years ago that you never think is going to, you know, comes back to haunt you. Right. You never think it's, you know, has any bearing on your future. And next thing you know, oops. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I think we uh, let's start off by talking a little bit about, um, Bob, the different types of emergencies that you've dealt with and uh, kind of get into that a little bit. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, one, one of the most memorable uh, that comes to mind is when the uh, earthquake hit Haiti wow. a couple of years back. So, um I don't want to mention our client's name, but it's one of the largest broadcast uh, companies in the world, you know, called us uh, the day of the earthquake, called us and said, hey, I need seven guys uh, on a plane tomorrow to get into Haiti. And by the way, um, we don't know how long you're going to be there. Hmm. <laughs> oh, so, geez. A little right, open. Right. So, so the intel that we had picked up uh, was that, you know, that things were bad. They they were bad. I mean, just from what we were, the feedback that we were getting. So um, we got our uh, special ops team together and uh, we were on a uh, charter flight uh, from Teterboro uh, heading toward Haiti. But at that time, then the U.S. military 
close the airport. So we had to land in the Dominican Republic. And no complication. Had, right. So we had to caravan it into Haiti. And, you know, wow. Pete, I would say that the most memorable part of that situation was driving into Haiti at about, I'd say, 5 a.m. in the morning. And it looked like a scene out of um, The Walking Dead. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, I can't describe it any other way. You know, uh, because you had that mist, there was still dust everywhere. Buildings were crumbled. If I tell you, they were crumbled. And, um, you know, we we just, we were silent during the entire ride because, again, we were trying to watch out for ourselves and make sure that we got into to camp. So um, I would say that that's probably one of the most memorable because, boy, that emergency tested every possible bit of whatever is down deep inside of me. You know, we did not have weapons going in, so we had to rent weapons there. There was no oh, law geez. whatsoever. Why are you writing a book on just this trip to Haiti? Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> seriously, Bob, come on now. It, it, it's amazing. It, it, it's amazing. So, you know, we had to rent firearms, and there was no law there whatsoever. The, the entire police department uh, was in a shambles. The uh, one prison that they had there crumbled, so you had 2,000 bad guys out there. Oh, no. Um, That's not a good thing. That place is gang-infested to begin with. And so, um, you know, and, and it was just one of those things. We were there 21 days. That's a long time. Wow. And I'm sure pretty days. sketchy a lot of time, part of that time, right? It was. It was, you know, I, I probably never fired more warning shots in my life than there. Oh, my goodness. And when we did, you know, finally get our, our weapons and uh, vests and everything, we had to um, meet with the U.S. military personnel because we had to go by, you know, military use of force while we were there. So that meant we could not have a round in the chamber. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the military use of force. And we had to learn how to say stop or I'll shoot in that Creole language. That's pretty important. Yeah. <laughs> now, so, so Bob, when we're talking about how you that assignment there. Once you get on the ground, you don't just assess by protection wise what's going on. You're looking at the whole background in security, correct? Kind of lay out like specifically enough if you're protecting somebody or you're looking at somebody in a specific way, how you look at the surroundings and different things. My only experience in security was I was a bouncer for X amount of years. So I always was okay. looking at the background, what was happening. No one ever wanted to fight me, but that's uh, so I was one of the cool bouncers where, hey, you know, they backed down to me. They went after the small guy. Maybe they right. made the wrong mistake. But <laughs> looking at the so your assignment once, let's just look at Haiti in general. What was your assignment once you got on the ground? Once you got to your assignment. So once we got on the ground, uh, we had to meet up with the broadcast crew and their talent. And again, I don't want to mention the name, but you you would know these people by name if I mentioned them to you. And so um, we had multiple responsibilities. One was setting up some kind of a safe base camp, um, setting up communications. We did bring radios with us. And then we had to um, make sure that we had enough ammunition. We had enough um, of a means to communicate with the mainland. So we did bring satellite phones with us. And then um, food and a place to sleep. So we wound up 
sleeping on concrete in a tent for about 21 days. That's that's a, a rough go of it. And and your 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 assignment there was to protect this news organization that was right. covering the events that were going on in Haiti. Right. All this lawlessness that was going on there. It was like you and these six other guys, you know, basically that was your assignment to to keep them safe because of the the craziness of, of that environment. Right. And, that, and that was nearly not enough. I mean, seven of us. That's not many, no. Yeah, because we could not we I mean, we could not fathom what we were walking into. Um, at all, could not fathom it. We we didn't understand going in how much death there was and destruction until we finally got there, and you know we kind of got to to get around town and stuff like that. Um, but you know, seven was just not enough. We gave the producers and the talent a, a curfew every night because they wanted to go out, you know, with production crews. And we had game of curfew. Uh, we need to get back to base camp before dark. Sure, and, for everybody's protection. Right, right. And, um, you know, there was one particular talent that uh, thought the rules did not apply to him. <laughs> and so... There's always one. There's always there is one. one. <laughs> yeah, there is one. And, and that situation almost caused a fatality that, you know, that evening. But, you know, again, we were fortunate enough. We... we um, we relied on the fact that those that were shooting at us were not proficient in the use of a firearm. You got so, lucky. Yeah. So we kind of hedged our bets there a little bit. Um, so, um, yeah, so that, that was kind of the, the nightmare that we lived. And I got to be honest with you as well, Pete, you know, um, when I got home, I still had that, that smell in my nose of death. Oh, Oh my God. Because it was everywhere. It was on the streets. It was everywhere. Uh, nothing can can compare to that. People that haven't lived that. I mean, someone you know, myself, Neil. We've never had to deal with that. No, thank God. And that's that's something that, you know, you you did something that was a great service to be able to do that for people, but it you know at your own risk, right? And that's uh, that's crazy. So, so that's definitely so. That was one of, if not the most memorable things that you've had to deal with. Oh, in absolutely. Your professional career, yeah. uh, which you've and you've done quite a bit. Um, You've also had to deal with uh, active shooter situations, I understand as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes, as as a matter of fact, um, you know, we do. I, I, I in, back in my career days, I did a lot of work with schools. I was on a um, the hunter and drug awareness um, board here in in Hunter County, so I got to do a lot of work with schools and with all of these active shooter issues that were coming about. Um, one of the areas that we kind of focused on was the school systems. And I mean, till this day, the schools are just not absolutely certain as to what they're going to do, you know, with this type of security. Um, but if you take the other side of that coin and you look at the the temples and the synagogues, um, you know, the, the, the uh, private sector, we deal with a lot of synagogues and temples now. And sure, <clears throat> especially in light of what just happened recently. Right. Right. And we got we got I, I don't want to say we got lucky. I want to just say that, you know, our, our intuition and our intelligence, um, you know, I think saved a situation that could have been really, really nasty at one of our temples. Um, you know, we have at this one particular one, we have two armed officers there every day, seven days a week. Wow. On high holy days. We have about 18 officers there on high holy days. Wow. It's one of the largest oh, yeah. temples. In New Jersey, and um, 18 guys on the ground during High Holy Days, 
And um, we screen every vehicle coming into the parking lot. The Uber vehicles get moved to a different lot altogether, completely altogether. Um, so during the normal course of a, a normal day, one of our guys calls me and just says, hey, you know, um, we're watching two or three individuals that are walking around the temple grounds. And, you know, this is a destination, so to speak. You don't just bump into it as you're driving down the road. No, no, no. You have to know, gotcha. you have to know where you're going and, and you know, you, you, you find it. So, um, you know, they, they watched these individuals for a while. They finally went out and questioned them. I mean, our guys are fully racked with bulletproof vests, everything. And they go out there and they start uh, talking to these three individuals who had said that they were just there to kind of, um, uh, you know, look at the temple. They were thinking of joining the congregation. And there was just something there that did not gel quite right. Just there was just something that um, my guys felt. And my guys that are on that post are retired law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. So they have that intuition that, yeah, you know, yeah. something doesn't sound right or feel right. Yeah. There was just something about that situation. And so our senior um, site supervisor over there decided to um, call local police at that time as well too and um you know they didn't want to have the police rushing over in an emergency and we certainly didn't want a SWAT team arriving because there's 350 kids there and you know we did the smart thing we kept it outside and as soon as police did show up we had a situation where one of them had a firearm on them say that wow wow yeah we had so it, it could have been a lot could have how, how did you identify that bob the, the person Say that again? How did you identify that they had the firearm on them? Well, you know, they're on private property. And so, you know, we're not civil servants. So civil rights go out the window, you know, at that point. And our guys know that, you know, if you're they're coming on private property, then we have every right to, to search them. If they disagree, then we can restrain them for their own safety and our safety until police get there. But we're going to check. And sure enough, when my guy checked this one individual, he had a loaded nine millimeter on his side. That's yeah, it's it's scary that you have to even worry about that sort of thing today. And it's really unfortunate because we've seen that now happen at synagogues. We've seen it happen at concerts. We've seen it happen in so many different places, obviously schools right. and, uh, and airports. And it's like no place is sacred anymore, including houses of worship, which right. should be a sacred place yet they end up being places that are targeted uh you know more often than not especially in other countries we see it stuff happen all the time and it's it's so it's so sad it's so devastating and it's so infuriating and it's so confusing because you you think what goes through these people's minds you know there are people right. gathered together to worship to pray and you know they feel like they're in this safe space and yet to someone else, it's like, you know what, here we have a bunch of sitting ducks and we're right. going to stay. And, and, and they, you know, and the, the rabbis in these temples and even the administration, it's a delicate balance because, you know, they want to have an open sense of community. I mean, this is what the temples are all about. Um, so you got to, you know, hopefully have a good head rabbi that is, um, has the foresight, you know, to kind of say, okay, we'll figure out other ways to balance this open uh, community, you know, effect. And, you know, now this one particular temple, we've been there now for going on five years with them. And it's amazing because the congregation, even the kids, they give our 
officers gifts around the holidays. That's I mean, great. Give them cards, holiday cards. And on high holy days, you can hear people talk about how this particular place is one of the safest places on earth. That's fantastic. Kudos to you and your team. You know, so absolutely. Yeah. Wow. And, and Bob, I think that what you see is that when we talk about these, uh, places like synagogues mm-hmm. we're just i think any religious organization now really needs to start to protect themselves more have more security better uh eye on people coming in and out of the building because you never know what could happen as it happened right. to tree absolutely. life mm-hmm. absolutely and we say to people you know it's all about access control 101 it, it, sure. it really is it's controlling who comes into your facility now, what would you say, and you know, this kind of is, is a perfect sort of segue into this, is one of the things that I talk about all the time to, to the people that I talk to about safety and, and my teaching, training, speaking, et cetera, is <clears throat> you need to be armed with awareness, which is you know, a situational mm-hmm. awareness type thing. And, and I like to say armed with awareness because you're armed with awareness. That's not something that could be taken away from you, like a gun or a knife or pepper spray or a flashlight or anything else that you could be using to protect yourself. You know, your mind... it's always with you. So you need to be, so if you're always armed with that awareness, so what would you say the average person's range of their situational awareness is when it comes to their awareness, their knowledge of their surroundings, the people, the places, the objects around them, what would you say the average person that you've run into in your experience, uh, how prepared are they or not? Well, well, you know, uh, Pete, I I do teach um, classes on situational awareness uh, active shooter, you know, things like that. And it's interesting because, um, when I do talk to these groups and I do do poll them, you know, we have good two way dialogue conversation and it's just amazes me as to how many people walk around and don't have a clue. Truly they don't, they don't, they don't look at the aware what's around them. And I talked about balancing that taught me to have that kind of situational awareness, which I never even knew as a definition until I started working for a company called Lensec. That's a video uh, surveillance company. And I didn't even know that word, but I learned it as a bouncer. And I honestly, because of my size have always had that kind of thing, but some people just walk around like there's no way anything's ever going to happen to them. Right. And, 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 and the cell phones don't help it, you know, with their face buried in a cell phone. One of the things that we do when we open up one of our training sessions, you know, we, we have people, I ask them to close their eyes in the audience. And there's usually, I'll, I'll do a class of up to 60 people or so. Once you get beyond that, it's a little bit too many uh, people, but I'll have them close their eyes and then I'll ask them to point to the nearest exit with their eyes closed. Ha, probably nobody can do it. No, it, you got fingers pointing in every different direction. So Maybe I they get lucky. <laughs> like, oh, right, right. <laughs> right. And you know, the, the military uses a color coding system for situational awareness with white being the kind of basic where you just walk around with no clue as to what's going on, no concerns about fear, no nothing. You know, and then, <laughs> right. And then you've got, you know, you've got your yellow level after that, which is, well, you know what, you're kind of aware, you, you at least know what direction you're going in. Um, you know, maybe you know where the exit is, the closest exit. Then you've got orange, which is where I live all the time. <laughs> I, live, I live in orange, unfortunately. And, and um, you know, Not unfortunately, orange, as of because of your experience, it's taught you that's the best place to be. Right. It is. It is because I can make the leap to red pretty quickly. 
somebody in the white area can't make that leap as quickly. And I will tell you that, you know, sometimes my family thinks I'm crazy. Uh, when we go to a mall, when we go to a restaurant, we go to a movie theater or and anything to that effect, because I'm constantly um, looking around and, and thinking something is going to occur. Oh, watch. And, <laughs> right. And how do I protect the people that are with me? I'm not so right. worried about the general public anymore, but, you know, the people that are with me. So for those people that are not familiar with those military color codes, okay, you have the white, you have yellow. Can you explain the orange and red for those that are not aware? Now, now orange is, um, and I I don't use the word intense, but orange is, okay, your your hairs on your back are up all the time um, because, you know, stuff can happen at any second and it happens pretty quick. And, and so, you know, you're aware of the exits in the rooms that you enter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where the best place to cover is if you're in a mall. So, you know, all these things. And if it happens, because it does happen so quick, you're ready to react. Exactly. Which red is, red. is right. Red is game on, you know, there, there's no holds bar. Oh, geez. And yeah. You're just going full steam ahead. See, and I'm similar to you in that. And and my wife does the same thing. She thinks I'm a little nuts because right. when we go places, she knows now I have to sit to see the door. I right. She will never right. sit there anymore. I She always sits, you know, her back can be to it. But no, right. I have to sit there because I'm armed and right. I'm aware of what's going on. And I do the same thing. I know where the exits are. I yep. know where I can, you know, seek cover. And I'm always looking at the people where I'm at, if it's a restaurant or a movie theater to see, okay, who around here looks like they could be a threat. Who around here looks like they could be an asset and assist me. If I see something like, if I see a guy who's like obvious military, I'll say, you know what? He probably has training. If something goes down, here's somebody that I could probably say, Hey, you come here, help. You know what I mean? And And that's the sort of thing that most people do not do because as you just said, Bob, they live in a state of, I don't know, ignorance is bliss sort of, you know, thing where they feel that, you know, something is not going to happen to them. And what I tell people all the time is that guess what? Every single person that has ever had something, whatever that is, could have been your identity stolen or it could have been an active shooter or something. They all say the same thing. And you know what that is. I never thought it would happen to me. Right. And so I say to people, no, I'm here to tell you that it could happen to you. And, not, and it's yeah. not a, a right. you know paranoia. Mm-hmm. It's simply awareness and preparedness. Because if you're prepared, you're not going to be afraid because you're going to know what to do. And right. wh- the, where I kind of am not in the position that you guys are in, but when I walk into a bar uh, or some sort of big area, like that's where I ha- kind of really look out for things, especially sporting events or different places where there's lots of people, because you never know when those drunks or certain people can uh, go awry and you got to watch out for those things or in more dangerous neighborhoods. Even I'm sure Bob, you see in sometimes people, they just walk in downtown like New York city and with no problem, like, Oh, everything's gonna be fine. No, that's when you got to get, you really have to be aware of your environment because of something can happen so quickly or more dangerous or more opportunities for, uh, some sort of something to happen. And I think that's the problem. People sometimes just think, Oh, I can walk as a woman in a like dark, area in a more dangerous neighborhood not nothing will ever happen to me that's the, the that's where 
we really have to educate them more, Bob. Am I, am I right, right about exactly, that? Exactly. And, and I find that with the, the corporations that we deal with for training, um, it's mostly focused on situational awareness and workplace violence. I mean, workplace violence does dovetail into active shooter. So right. it's these kind of two courses. And then there's always the de-escalation techniques and things like that. But it's just more and more of the corporations now because of this duty of care that they're concerned, you know, there's going to be a lot of backlash with liabilities if something were to happen at that particular location. And they chose to not train their employees. And you bring up an interesting point because I think the difference with a corporation versus an educational institution, for example, is that the corporation is going to be pointed to, to say, why weren't you prepared? Why did not you train your people as opposed to say, a synagogue or a school where it's like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened to them. They're not expecting them to have that level of preparedness as say a corporation with a workplace violence event or an active shooter, et cetera. Right. You mentioned event safety, Neil. And one of the things, Bob, that you've done is you've worked security and and maybe you can expand on this a little bit uh i was reading that you you've done stuff at super bowls and pg yes. tours uh yeah. maybe you could explain and talk a little bit about how you've you've helped to secure those sort of uh well, you know, venues sure i mean we actually um we were involved in i think it was 2014 the super bowl in new jersey mm-hmm. oh, yeah. we were involved yeah we were involved in in that particular situation and um there were only about 30 35 of us um, from my company that came in. I mean, they had those other massive companies there that were mostly people on the perimeters, just, you know, making sure crowds didn't come down. We were uh, responsible for some of the rehearsal security. We were, uh, you know, uh, the green rooms and escorting the talent, you know, in and out of the tunnel and all that kind of good stuff. Um, and I got a lesson. I can tell you that was so valuable uh, I worked very closely with the state police substation there at um, MetLife Stadium. And, you know, they put in place such rigid, rigid access control components, such as um, if you were coming in with any kind of a bag that was anything other than clear, you weren't getting in. Right. I remember that. Mm, yep. Yeah. It had to be a clear bag. And then, you know, I spent some time down at the screening areas as well, too, because I just I, I, I wanted to see what was coming in, you know, sure. at the same time. And I mean, they had people that had, you know, face paint on uh, wigs and everything else. And they state police had more bomb dogs there huh. than you. Yeah. than you can imagine. But it, it, it was a lesson because if you it, it's all again, it's all about access control 101. It really who's coming in and making sure that they're not coming in with something they shouldn't. Right. Right. And so, you know, the clear bag is, is one thing it, you know, it it sounds like something small, but um, think about the person that could potentially have a backpack on Um, no backpacks were allowed into the stadium. So when we did one of the PGA tours in New Jersey, a couple of years after that, we put in similar types of access control that state police did back during that Super Bowl, and awesome. um, even to the point where, you know, we even had uh, people opening up their bags that they did come with, that so that we can check. And um, you know what? They did not mind it. No, a lot of people 
appreciate it. Uh, there are always a few that that feel like it's an annoyance, but I do security for a local venue uh, from time to time <clears throat> that has you know various artists that come in there. You know, right. artists that people know. I mean, we've had Alice Cooper come through. Right. We've had um, the Beach Boys. You know, we've had some big acts, so we have a lot of people that come through. And one of the things that that I do with the uh, the rest of the team there is we have wands. And we have to wand everybody to make sure that they're not carrying anything big and metal that they shouldn't. Correct. Uh, and then there are other guys that they're checking every single bag. They've got flashlights. They're looking yeah. in every single purse, every single backpack. They allow them in. Right. They don't have to be clear. But we check every bag. Right. And we find stuff. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, not really anything major. I mean, usually it's, you know, somebody's got a pocket knife and, you know, yeah. they, they feign, you know, that, they, oh, I forgot I had it. Yeah, okay, yeah. sure you did. You know, there's a sign right here. No weapons, no knives, no guns, you know, right, and it's right. like, exactly. but, exactly. Um, but we, we find stuff all the time. Uh, but the vast majority of people are appreciative. You know, yeah. they say, you know, this is interesting. I didn't think you guys had this level of security here, but, but thank you. I appreciate it. And a yeah, lot of people, people say people that. want to go. They want to go to an event and not have to worry uh, whether or not they're going to have to duck underneath the seat, you know, right. or something like that. You want to go and just enjoy yourself. Sure. You know, and like, that level of security gives people, well, yeah, that level of security then gives those people that sense of comfort to a certain right. extent. Sure, I mean, exactly. nothing is, you know, a hundred percent secure. I mean, that does not right. exist. I mean, you know that I, I know that Neil knows that every, most people know that, right. but if you can make it so that it's 95%, 98%, 99% secure, right. then you're doing as much as humanly possible right. to protect those people that you've been charged with protecting. Oh, absolutely. We did a, um, a concert about three years ago at a baseball stadium. Again, I'm not going to say, you know, which one, but I could tell you that the talent was female, uh, considered a, a very pop diva. And so um, we were screening her staff coming in and she had about 10 members with her coming through and the 10 did not want to walk through the magnets. <laughs> Oh, and now most of them think they're above that. Right, right. Now, I don't know if you know, MLB's got some very strict regulations. Didn't matter. There was no baseball game that night. You still, you know, abide by MLB guidelines. So MLB guidelines are you don't walk through that metal detector. You don't get in. There you and, go. You can blame them. <laughs> right. So, so, so my guys radio me. I go over and, uh, you know, I'm talking to these eight or nine or ten individuals. And I said, look. You're just not getting in. You you have a choice. My suggestion, go back to your, your uh, bus, put whatever you have with you away, and then come through the magnet. And they did. And so, but you know what? It's unfortunate you had to do that, you know, and go there because once they, they found, okay, the, the you know, you were called right, in. Exactly. And you basically laid down the law. Right. Said, Look, you're not getting in. What do you want to do? So, right. so, had to do it. so how has, again, this is the process that's happening in security. Security changed, Bob, in let's mm -hmm. say the last 10 years in the way you can really uh, kind of observe what's happening. In, right. Yeah. So, so, you know, the, the days of the, um, you know, the $14 an hour uniform guard at the mall, they're, they're kind of gone. And when I say gone, meaning any uh, entity or venue or organization or corporation that is dead serious about making sure they have a safe and secure environment, they're not going to be hiring those $14 an hour, $15 an hour type guards. They're just not going to be because the, the risk of something happening 
it, 10 years, you know, with, within this 10 year span is even greater now. Sure. And they're just not capable of handling it. No, you need to make sure that those people have at the minimum, some sort of lethal weapons training. They understand when they can use force, when they can't use force. Exactly. And all of those things that a $14 an hour guy, you know, who's working for, you know, some general security company has no clue about. And, no, and uh, most of them, most of them, quite honestly, um, are there to observe and report, maybe right. report. Yeah, yeah, they're not trained to, you know, immobilize somebody, escort right. them somewhere, take them down. Right. You know, right, and, exactly. and so that requires a professional. And if you expect professional levels of protection, you have to expect to pay professional levels of of, you know, of cost in order to make that that happen. No, exactly. And, and you know, I will tell you that we're very selective in the clients that we do business with um, because we don't play in that low end of the market. We let those big companies, you know, the 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 uh, the, bo- the big boxes of the world. We let them have that. And, um, you know, we'll pick and choose. We, we don't really advertise it's positive word of mouth. And so, um, when we sit down with a client, they get more than just security from a company like us. That's great because a lot of them, they, they need it, but again, they don't want to pay it. Right. So, you know, that's great that you, you do that because you're dealing with companies that understand the value, uh, and also the right. professionalism, that level that, that you and your company provides. Yeah. Uh, and the name of the company is what? K, uh, K Street, uh, right? K, K Street, Street Group. Group. Yep. K Street Excellent. Group. New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey, by the way. Where? <laughs> Where are you from? Bergen County. Oh, I know. My aunt lives up there. Uh, my aunt lives up in Paramus. There you go. My, my neighbor. I'm, I'm right up in that area. In fact, I grew up <clears throat> for many years in the shadow of what used to be Giant Stadium in okay. East Rutherford. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so wow. up in that area. Um, so... In terms of, uh, I guess, the, the safety of what these venues uh, have or maybe are lacking, uh, let, let's take a look at a, at a few different sort of general large groups, uh, mm-hmm. I guess I could say. Uh, for example, schools. You know, we, we mentioned schools. Schools are a right. huge one. You do work in schools. Yep. Do you think schools today, uh, I guess in general, are doing enough to enhance the security of their students. And I think you kind of alluded to that a little bit, talked about it a little bit. Um, and then, you know, to go along with that, do you also think they should have some level of armed protection at that school as well? So number right. one, are they doing enough? And number two, should they have armed security? Right. So, so on the first question, um, because, you know, we also do a, a tremendous amount of security risk assessments uh, for school systems as well. But you know what they don't realize is that document becomes discoverable if something were to occur and they did nothing about it. And so it's interesting because um, especially out here in New Jersey, you know, we're out in Hunterdon County and the schools out here just believe, truly believe that it's never going to happen out here. Oh, jeez. No, no. Yeah, I kid you not. And, um, you know, a matter of fact, one of the schools out here, we offered to put a, an armed officer in there free of charge. Wow. Free of charge just to, um, you know, placate some of the parents and, and things like that. I mean, this is when, you know, Sandy Hook and all those exactly, other ones were yeah. going on. And we, and we, you know, we offered that service right up front because we like to work within our community. And uh, they just kind of said, well, now, you know, that's all right. We'll just do our own thing. And, you know, some of these schools here, they take a teacher and put the teacher at a desk at an entrance 
And, you know, that's, that's inadequate. Right. <laughs> that's right. insane. Right. And, and, you know, some of them do have police officers there uh, for a couple of hours out of the day. Uh, some of the wealthiest school districts do have security on the ground. But what but about overall, the other ones? Right. But overall, I would say that the schools really don't do enough. They don't have the budget to do it. And and you mentioned something that I have also run into, which is the minute you do a risk assessment and you have it in writing, it becomes yeah. public record. So now I've actually been working with with a, a gentleman who also does uh, video installations at these schools right. where he has even told me that he's gone in, offered to do a safety evaluation and mm-hmm. write up a report. And they've said, no, 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 no. Just tell us. We don't want right. it in writing. They and know. I'm like, That's insane. That's because, like you said, they know the yeah. minute it gets written and it gets official. Now they're on the hook if something happens. Right. Right. And we use a, um, a proprietary quantitative uh, model that we use. Obviously, you know, we do all the legwork and, and look at all the different systems, the hardscape, landscape, CCTV, all that kind of stuff. And we actually give them a quantitative score. And so when they see that quantitative score, you know, they, they're trying to figure out well, why are you giving us a 48 out of a hundred? Yeah. And then you have to explain it, you know, that's, that's crazy. That's so yeah, go ahead, Neil. I was going to just talk about, I, I think what I'm gathering when I call school districts to talk to them about if they currently have a, um, what video, um, management system do they have in place and things like that. They really don't know the people at the district who really is in charge of their security and they're trying to develop that and understand that point. I think colleges are doing a lot better than the, um, districts, but ultimately I don't think everyone sees how important it is to know who is in charge of your security. If it's your superintendent, that's fine. I think everyone should have a security director for every school district should have a head of a security that manages the entire team and make sure certain people have certain responsibilities and they're all trained on a specific system so they can monitor and spot this um, spot, uh, incidents before they happen because bob again even though if we don't going to have another active shooter there are so many things that happen in schools uh oh, that, that that are and and one of the things now is a lot of the bus systems are getting more and more better with their uh video surveillance as well the mm-hmm. systems are getting better and better and more high tech that yep. school districts should spend the money now or look for grant money because it's coming down the pike that it's going to save them money in the long run Right. And, and they don't look at that. And, you know, you, you raise a couple of really good uh, points, Neil, with with these school districts and just about how you have no idea who the one individual is that has responsibility for the safety and security. Now, colleges, as you say, and universities, they have public safety departments, so they definitely, you know, have the edge going on. But, you know, I, I ask students in general sometimes when they don't when there's no administration around because I try to get the real truth from them as to what's going on. And I'll say to them, okay, so have you guys ever received any kind of uh, training if somebody was to enter the building with a firearm? And they said, well, you know, we're told to get in, you know, under our desks or in a corner and hide and shut the door and lock it. And so I said to them, I said, so what do you think you really should do? And I got to tell you, unanimously, it's I'm getting the hell out of there as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I'll tell you what, um, that comes to light 
in, in a real life situation, because if we go back to Sandy Hook just for a second, you know, you talk about legal liabilities. Do you know there are multiple lawsuits right now against that whole Sandy Hook school administration? Wow. Uh, there's a lawsuit out there that that uh, for, for they sh- claiming they should have had ballistic glass there. Uh, there's another lawsuit for saying that, you know, they should have trained the, the teachers better because if you remember what occurred there, when mm-hmm. that bad guy went in to that school, he entered the school, he went right first, uh, did what he had to do with that administrative office. And then he went left because there was a library down at the left end and about 10 feet from the library was an exit. And I'm not saying that the kids could have gotten out, but they probably would have stood a better chance if they tried to just evacuate when they heard those shots going off. Right. Well, and that, I mean, typically that's, that's what we're, you know, you're hearing and that's what's being taught is the run hide fight. You know, you try to run and get, like you said, get out of there as soon as you can, if at all possible, if you cannot, because you'd have to go through the shooter or whatever, then you have to hide and sort of, right. you know, shelter in place. That's when you're blocking the door. That's when you're turning the lights off, silence right. the cell phones, be super, super quiet, right. block the door if at all possible. And then if that person comes in and you have no other recourse, then you've got to fight. You've got to overwhelm that person. Right. You've got to try to, you know, block their eyesight first, yeah. you know, so they can't see and you have to, you know, totally get on them. Now, unfortunately, I don't think that that is being taught to the level that I believe it should be, which is you need to get these kids to say, look, if this were to happen and the chances yes. are very, very small, right? but if it gets to that point, you need to grab that chair. You need to grab that fire extinguisher. You should, you need to grab that, that whatever. Right. And when that happens, you have to overwhelm them. And I was reading in the paper yesterday or today that some of these schools and, and here locally, you know, there, there's, They've made the decision to arm teachers at a local school here right. in Pennsylvania, and it's all kinds of controversy over that. But some of the parents are thinking, well, you know what? This is upsetting my children. You know, mm-hmm. this is, you know, th- th- they don't want to think about this. Yeah. Well, okay. You can go about it from the standpoint of, look, the chances of this happening are, you know, lower than you getting struck by lightning. Right. Well, when However, you- right. this is what you would have to do if this were to occur. Not that it's going to. But it could. And if if you I don't want to say downplay it, but put it in perspective that it's simply another skill set. You train for a fire drill. How many, you know, children have ever had to deal with a real fire in their school? Correct. Too many. Do you not train for what to do? Of course not. And that's the same thing. Yeah. And and, you know, if you if you really um, look at that, you know, we now instruct we, we actually actually call it an options based run, hide, fight. Uh, you know, know, because we have so much data now on um, the survival, the survivability, if you use an options-based type of an approach to this. And, you know, it's no longer just barricading, it's an enhanced barricading process now. So you're putting desks, file cabinets, anything that you can imagine, you know, to slow them down. Right. And then you're looking for weapons of opportunity. Just about every classroom has a fire extinguisher in it. And that's probably the most effective weapon of opportunity that you can have in your hand. Now, see, Bob, if you had the system where most school districts would have with access control, being able to lock the doors in specific ways for so people cannot enter, how hard would it have been Sandy Hook or any of these if, if it was not done by a kid inside? 
where right yeah i i would say that if if you know if you hardened um the school's access to the point where you did have ballistic glass uh you know on those uh, front windows and you had that door locked um and the only way to get in is for an individual to present some credentials that they uh, are authorized to be there or they were invited in. Right. And, and if they were not, they're not getting in. So what would you suggest to schools as something that they should consider as a security enhancement, the ballistic glass? Yeah. And, and now uh, hardened access for that, they have film now 3M makes a, um, I don't want to say a ballistic film it's a, yeah it goes over the glass right it goes over the glass right and um it'll give you some of that extra time if you need it if somebody's firing something at the glass but i would say if that budget's there ballistic glass 100 percent, and uh i would i would absolutely have that door locked all the time and the only way again you're getting in is if i'm coming there to pick up my kid well then let, i'm checking a, a roster see who you're picking up and if you're the parent of that individual that's coming in, I mean, it unfortunately has to be locked down. It really does. Yeah. That film is a great option. And I actually looked into it for the first floor of my house and my wife went nuts. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> because I'm like, look, this is a cheap option. It's not like you're putting it. In. I mean, relatively speaking, it is. Right. You put the film on, you make sure you do it properly, but yet it can withstand huge amounts of force right. and they put it on buildings in hurricane prone areas to prevent yep. windows from shattering yep. when they're struck with debris for example and it's rated different ratings but it can be rated even up to bomb blasts right exactly and it's incredible stuff but yet not a lot of people even know about it. and i bet a lot of people listening to this right now mm -hmm. don't even know that that sort of thing exists where there's a film that you can essentially buy right you can buy the tool and you could even install put it, it on yourself not right that hard Right, right. And you know, the other thing that we do, Pete, another service we offer are um, security penetration tests, passive. And so, you know, if you were to come to our office, we have a closet that's got more different um, uh, gear in there, like a Verizon jacket or, you know, something like that, a public oh. utility coat. And so companies and schools hire us to try to passively penetrate their security systems. And you know what? We've done them at power plants. We've done them at uh, one of the largest, largest cookie manufacturers in the country, um, corporations, data centers, and very rarely do we fail getting in. That's wild. Sure, because you look yeah. official. You got a clipboard. Exactly. You got your, your pen. You know, right. you got your vest on. And right. you're walking in. You're like, oh, yes, I'm here to do this and this right. and this. Can you point me in the right direction? Oh, yeah, sure. Go that way. Thank right. you. Right. <laughs> so, so I'll just tell you a quick funny story. My my dad, um, you know, when he was alive, he lived up in uh, Havistar, New York, up in Rockland County. Yep, I know where that's at. And, right. In Rockland County, there's a small power plant there. And so that company hired us to do penetration tests at a bunch of their facilities around the country. So um, I said, you know what? I'll go do this one. My dad lives there. I'll have lunch with my dad while I'm up there. So I call my dad. I said, look, I'll be over and we'll go to we'll grab some lunch. But I got to go do this first. So I did it. And I had a Verizon outfit on with a Verizon hard hat. And I had, I don't know, some little electronic device in the palm of my hand that had lights flickering on and off. <laughs> and I just drove right up to the uh, security desk and said, hey, you know, I'm here to check your fiber optics reading. We're getting some complaint. And the guard just says, okay, head over to the administration building. No escort, 
you know, or anything like that, no escort whatsoever. And so, um, you know, we, we stay on the premises for about 30 minutes just to, uh, take, take pictures. some pictures to prove yeah, non-sensitive pictures though. No, right, right. you know, and then we get out and then I reach out to their head of uh, security. So after I did that, I went to my dad's and we, we were out to, uh, lunch with his wife. And I said, boy, you guys have to move out of this town. And my dad says, why? Said, well, I just walked into that power plant with, with absolutely no confrontation whatsoever, stayed there 30 minutes and I could have planted more incendiary devices oh, geez. than you can imagine. It's scary stuff. It is scary. Because so, you, you just, you know, and that's just, you know, and there's a critical, you know, huge problem right there. I mean, if you go into a power plant and you take out a power plant, everybody right. that relies on that electricity. I mean, think right. about, I mean, probably a nuclear facility is going to be a little bit tougher to get in. One would think. Well, yeah. A nu nuclear facility is a different category. Right. Um, if you've ever driven past one, there's a big sign outside there that says deadly force authorized. Yes. And, and that's <laughs> the <don't> mess with <laughs> that. Man. Right. Federal government is authorizing it. And if there is a shooting for any reason, the liability falls back to the federal government. Now, Bob, do you like the fact that uh, there's TV shows out there showing all these people that are criminals how to break into things or figure out certain things in security wise by the shows that are out there and whoever's um, advising them? Right. You know, and, and I don't you know, I've not watched a whole bunch of them, but it, it it's interesting, right? Because you get a, a former criminal that, you know, will show somebody how to break into a house and what you need to do to to counter that. And I, I just think that that's, you know, if you're concerned about the security of your home, invite your local police in your, you know, your community policing officer uh, and have them do a review of your home, you know, for access points and things like that. I mean, most people don't know it, but you do call your local police department. They'll send somebody out to the house. That's right. To take a look at yeah. it for you. It doesn't cost you a dime. I'm just thinking these big terrorist attacks are different things. I, I watched uh, Jack Ryan and I watched these different shows and they show about right, right. how they break into video surveillance <laughs> or the history. It's it's really, I don't understand why we put this out there because I'm sure there are copycatters that try right. this and, stuff. And there are. And this is why you see this escalation of these events occurring. I mean, because you you have copycats. You have young individuals through social media. They're watching these shows. They're getting ideas. Uh, they want to be as famous as, you know, some of these guys that are on national TV because they just, you know, shot up uh, 14, 15 people in a nightclub. Now, is that is that one of the reasons why you would say that we're seeing more and more of this? Is it more of a copycat thing? Do you think because I mean, I've got my own thoughts as to why I think some of these are are going on. I'd like to get your take on it, Bob. Right. I, I think it's a multiple of things. You know, we have social media as one aspect of it, you know, and we'll, uh, you know, if, if you want, we could talk about, you know, the, the, the crime issues on this social media, but for the most point, you've got, you know, this ability for massive numbers of people to communicate, to brag, to Snapchat, to do whatever they, they have to do. Exactly. Yeah. And so it becomes very, very publicized. And, uh, you know, you, you look at the, the Boston marathon bombers and stuff like that. And then they had a show about them, you know, after that, and you get a young kid that's disillusioned with things going on as an outcast at school, uh, maybe, you know, divorced parents, um, and they all start to see this thing and say, well, you know what, I, I, this notoriety is not a bad gig. And, yeah, and that's a horrible thought that gets in their head. 
Right, right. It's it's a horrible thought that gets in their head. And then they start the posting, you know, before they do what they're going to do. They start the posting on various uh, social media outlets. And that's why, you know, when, when you go back and you do the postmortem on a lot of these active shooter stuff, there was information out there. And, you know, I, I don't know really whose sort of fault that is because i mean you could point fingers all day long but it's a it's a really good point you bring up because social media has almost become a place that allows them to have some sort of validity to what it is that they're doing and there are always breadcrumbs you know you can you can go like you said you can go back and you can trace like well look this person was posting this you know three weeks before four weeks before three days before they were saying you know what something's going to happen so is that the responsibility of the social media you know, company itself that they're not catching it? Do you think it's that their friends that are seeing it, they're, you know, saying, ah, they're just all talk. They're not going to say anything. Do you think it's a shared responsibility? I'd be interested in getting your take on that because it's, right. it's a touchy right. subject. It is very touchy. Um, I will tell you that we have licensed in a proprietary social media intelligence platform. Again, I'm not going to mention the name, um, but um, the system has the ability, whether I'm using a geofence or, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, certain keywords and stuff like that to monitor for this type of activity. So I'll give you a great example. We had a CEO of one of the largest pharmaceutical companies going down to Fort Lauderdale to uh, do a 40 minute keynote. Okay. And so, um, you know, we did do the advance there, but at the same time, we put a geofence around the Fort Lauderdale area. And so we were monitoring Twitter chatter, uh, you know, the, 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 the chatter in general. And we picked up a piece of chatter from a uh, teenage high school female that was warning students not to go to school the next day. So, oh, you know, boy. we see this now. We have some obligation to give that information to law enforcement. I mean, we have to do it. So I call up the uh, police down there, the Hollywood um, Police Department, and it took me about 30 minutes to at least convince them that I wasn't crazy, that I was, (laughs) you know. You're professional and you're trying to help. Right, right. And then, you know, but they, when they finally realized that, we sent them all the information and they did go to the girl's house. They did go to her house. Now, I don't know what happened you know, from that point on, they didn't come back to us. But I would say that school systems <clears throat> should be doing this because in schools you have bullying going on. You've got, um, I mean, you could talk to students in our high schools here. They tell us that, you know, um, they can go pipe pot anywhere in the school they need to. They've got kids that are emptying water bottles and putting vodka in them and selling them. Oh, boy. Right, <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, this is going on and nobody is electing to do anything about it. This social media tool is so powerful. Yes. Uh, to monitor is things. Proprietary? Is this a proprietary technology? Or is uh, it's no, commercially we, available. It's commercially available. We license it in. Are we and, allowed to uh, tell people what the, what it's called? Uh, it's actually called Life Raft by Navigator. Okay. Excellent. And there are another two out there we evaluated we found this one to be uh, for our purposes because it also gets us into deep and dark web searches oh, as well, too. That's big now. Yeah, it is. It's it's huge because 
oh my God, the stuff that you find, uh, yes. is, it's unreal. It's unreal. But, you know, I don't want to point my finger at social media and say it's because of that reason we're seeing this, this increase. It is giving them the outlet, though. It's giving them the outlet to talk about it, discuss it, brag about it. Um, and then they're seeing what's happening around the world with these shootings. And I mean, part of what I also see, too, just from what I have three teenage boys, they love to play on their Xbox and, you yeah. know, play these uh, active shooter games. And I think, uh, not, you know, the, that's what they basically call them, these first person shooter games. And I think a lot of this stuff is desensitizing the kids. I think it's sort of making them feel like it's not a big deal to go right. in and with a, a whole posse of people and conduct these raids and, and, and blow up these targets and, and shoot these people, et cetera, et cetera. And that not that they don't know the difference between the video game and reality, but it, I think it desensitizes them to, to the reality. Yeah. And, well, you know, and I think that's a huge problem. And I also think the other part of it is the movies. And right. what's, what's happening on Hollywood. And it's not even the movies, but it's even what's on TV. I mean, you could turn yeah. your TV on at three in the afternoon and some of the shows that are on there, you're like, right. yo, there could be young kids watching this right. Right. and it's stuff that shouldn't be out there. And so I think the media and, you know, the, those companies that control the distribution of content need to take a little bit more responsibility for what they're putting out there. Right. And they're not doing it because, it's making sales. It's making they'll, them, they'll right. never, they'll never do it, Pete, because it's considered the freedom of speech and they'll never, right. they'll never end. Bob, I, I, again, I'm kind of going to close down our chatter for a second. We want to know if we can find more information on you uh, and your company and where, where can we check you out? Um, we do have a, a website out there. It, it's um, www.kstreetgroupsecurity.com. Um, you know, certainly you can call our office and that would be, um, 908-200-7344. And, um, being one of the owners, you, you're more than likely to get me on the phone once you call into the switchboard. How would you, how about leaving us with, uh, some, some advice that our audience could take away that would just help them better protect themselves and their families on a daily basis? Okay. I, I you know, what, Pete, and it's what you said earlier, it's all about preparing preparation and increasing that situational awareness if 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 you can just keep one thing in your mind when you do go out with your family whether that means as soon as i go into this restaurant i'm going to locate the nearest exit or if i'm going to shop at bridgewater mall i'm locating the nearest exit or at least i'm knowing where i'm going to hide in the event that things start to go bad so they they need to be thinking of these things beforehand and I'm not exactly. encouraging them to go from a white to an orange level, but maybe into a yellow. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Because the, the time, and I, I say this, and this is one of my taglines, is the time to prepare is before the need right. arises. Right. And if you never prepare and you ignore that a problem can occur, you know, you're going to be woefully prepared for something if it were to happen. And right. you don't have to be paranoid. You know, it's not that you're, 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 you know, somebody who's, who's thinking, oh my God, there's something going to happen to me no matter where I am. Right. It's simply starting to make these things a habit. And when it becomes a habit, you just, you get into the habit you start to do it right. all the time. And then it becomes, you know, sort of exactly. the new normal. Wow. Well, it's muscle memory, right? It's muscle memory. You say, okay, I'm going to see a movie tonight at some theater and I know there's a, an exit right over there. So I'm going to just uh -huh. sit a exactly. little closer to it. 
Wow. I, I really uh, enjoyed this conversation learning from two safety experts. I'm learning the uh, industry very fast and that's great because I always, as the total tutor, try to study new industries yep. and understand them more. And uh, Bob, I definitely, we need to talk off air to see how we can sure. help each other out in specific ways with some of the things I'm doing. And I'm sure Pete will do the same. And, uh, right. and are you on social media for people to check you out as well? Um, the company is, I, I can tell you that, but personally I'm, I'm not. I mean, uh, and that could be a good a, thing. <laughs> I do have a Facebook page only because we do have a corporate Facebook page. So gotcha. uh, you have to have your personal, not the corporate. I understand it because right. I own a, I own a social media and more, uh, and uh, and branding company. So I understand completely. Well, yeah. good talking, you guys, and uh, great Pete show. Sure. And Pete and uh, Pete, we can find info on you real quick for um, our listeners as well. Absolutely. Go to PeteCanavan.com, C-A-N-A-V-A-N, and there is a cybersecurity checklist that is free for anybody to learn how to best protect themselves and the best practices to stay safe in the cyber world, which, as we know, can sometimes lead to then problems in right. the real world. Yep, absolutely. All right, guys. Good night, everybody. All right, All right, thank thanks you. for listening. All right, take thanks care. Thanks a lot. Thanks, right, Bob. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.